This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. kicked off our brand new theme for 2023 last week. Trust in the Lord comes from Psalm 37, verse number five. And if you missed last week, you can get caught up on our podcast or the Hui Kala app. Uh, But grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 37. We're going to take a look at the preceding verse today, uh, Psalm 37, verse number four. So grab your Bibles and turn there. If you need a copy of the notes for today, would you slip up your hand? We've got ushers that are coming your way with uh, notes and a pen if you need that today. We're going to hook you up with exactly what you need while you turn your Bible to Psalm 32. I'm sorry, Psalm 37. Sorry about that. Psalm 37. Again, if you missed uh, any of the uh, messages so far in this series, you can get caught up on the Hui Call app. If you have the Hui Call app, you can also take notes on that if you want to do that. Uh, just click on today's uh, message and click on the button that says fill in notes. It'll pop up, open a web browser for you. Uh, where you can take your notes and at the end email them to yourself if you want to do it that way or just jot down some uh, notes that you have here. I'd encourage you to find some way to take the notes that you have and file them, whether it's in a, you take a a photo of them and and save them in an album in your photo roll or something like that on your phone. Uh, But we give you these tools not only so that you can learn together visually, but you can go go back later and review. And so uh, I would encourage you to take really good notes and have some type of system for filing them. Unfortunately, many Baptists have a Baptist filing system in the back of their Bible. They just take everything and shove it in the back and then when it all falls out one day, they pick it all up and put it in the garbage can. Don't do that. Uh, use the, the resources we give you to, to grow in your faith, and I hope that's a help to you. Psalm 37, verse number 4, just one verse that we're taking a look at today, but so much truth in that verse. Psalm 37, verse number 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I would encourage you to circle that verse, star it, underline it, highlight it if you're using a mobile app. Commit that verse to memory. I would even encourage you to memorize it this week and meditate on it. I'll read it one more time. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The heart's a funny thing because the things that are valuable to our heart today are not the same things that were valuable to us, say, 10 years ago. Uh, The things that we value, the things that we treasure today are going to be different than the things that we treasure 10 years from now. Uh, For for me, uh, I've never confessed this publicly, but I'll confess it right now. When I was 16 years old, I got my very first tattoo. uh, And I thought to myself, this is something that's deep. It's meaningful to me. Uh, It will always mean something to me. It's a, a part of my life. It's part of who I am. And how many of you realize, like, at 16 years old, you can't really fathom what's important to you when you're, like, 45, right? Uh, you just can't. So when I was 16 years old, I somehow convinced my parents. My parents signed off on it and everything somehow uh, to get myself a tattoo of, are you ready for it? The Roadrunner from Looney Tunes. <laughs> Deep, meaningful, uh, thoughtful, you know, I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, as a 45-year-old man, I'm no lie, really, really embarrassed by that. Uh, you know, if you ever wonder, like, hey, I've never seen our pastor in a tank top. You never will because I have bad 90s tattoos, okay? Uh, and so it's just, uh, like, super-duper embarrassing. Because here's the thing. The things that were really important to me at 16 aren't important to me as a 45-year-old man. They're just not. 
because our heart changes. There was a period of time in my early 30s where I loved to run, man. We lived in uh, the middle of the desert out in California, and you could see, uh, no lie, you go out on a road, and the road's just flat for miles, and you could literally see 15 miles down the road. And, like, if there's a car coming, you got plenty of time to get out of the way from it. Um, end of our time there, I really enjoyed doing triathlons, and I bought a really nice bike. I was riding my bike through there, and, man, again, you just ride for miles. And I'd put on some worship music. I'd pray. I'd, I would sing. Just some good time with the Lord uh, out there. Uh, and when we moved to, to Honolulu, uh, I went out on my bike, like, first time, almost got hit by a car in Waikiki, and I was just like, okay, bad idea, and so I tried to go use the bike lane over on King Street, almost got hit in the bike lane, I thought, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to die on a bicycle, and so I, I kind of uh, hung that up, no lie, I, I sold my bike to a guy who was attending our church at the time, uh, he had it for two weeks, and he got hit in the bike lane, uh, and broke his collarbone, I felt bad, but it's just like, yeah, that's, I knew that that was going to happen, and so... Uh, for me, don't enjoy riding a bike. Don't enjoy running. I don't even like walking up steps anymore. Like, like it just not my thing. And, and Alamona Center, I think, holds the world's record for the most broken escalators known to man. Like, you go there, there's always a broken escalator. And so, and I'm lazy, and it's just like, man, I'm totally not walking upstairs today. Uh, because, again, it's just not what I enjoy anymore. It's just, it had its season. It was fun for a minute, but it's not fun anymore. The problem is, is that if we continue to find what our heart craves and desires, we're going to be on a, an endless scavenger hunt for the rest of our life, trying to find out what pushes our buttons. But this verse here tells us how to get it right and keep it right is to do this. Don't point your heart towards the things of this world. Don't find your pleasure in them. Find your pleasure in God himself. And then, here's the promise afterwards, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, to some people, th this, this verse causes a little bit of confusion. First of all, there's the, the one side of the uh, equation is this. God wants to give me all the stuff that I want. And so if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to give me that new car. He's going to give me a bigger house. He's going to make me financially successful. He's going to give me a, a spouse. He's going to give me kids. He's going to give me all the stuff that I want if I delight myself in him, which that's wrong, which we'll get to in just a minute. The other side is uh, struggles with this idea like, well, how if I delight myself in God, I can't be happy. Like if I'm doing all this religious stuff, then I can't do what I really want to do. And so God is really just trying to prevent my happiness. There's an error on both sides of that. And we'll take a look at that here this morning. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to find pleasure. God wants you to find joy. It's just where you find it that's the most important. As we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, it's important to know first and foremost that God knows that your deepest and most enduring source of joy and pleasure are found in Him. God knows that. And so He tells you, delight yourself in Me. Whatever you're looking for, whatever your heart desires, you're going to find the answer to that in Me. This is so opposite of everything that our world teaches because as we're born into this world, we don't, we're not born into this world with a craving for the things of God. We're born into this world with a craving for the things of self and this world. Uh, that's why when we get back to the book of Romans in February, we'll be in Romans chapter number three, which tells us that there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. There's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is born into this world and saying, hmm, I wonder how I can pursue the things of God because I hate the things of this world. We have to be confronted with that truth. We have to have that truth permeate the depths of our heart to be able to receive that because our, our heart is bent towards self-gratification, self-fulfillment. 
What would make me happy? What do I hope to get out of this? Because we're born as sinners into this world. Now, our sin nature not only leads us astray from the things that will really provide lasting fulfillment, happiness, and pleasure, but our heart also points us away from the presence of God. Because our sin has created distance between us and God, we cannot come to God even if we wanted to. That's problematic here on this earth because our sin will keep us from being close to God where the source of pleasure is found. Psalm 1611 tells us, uh, in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures evermore. True fulfillment and pleasure is found in the presence of Christ, but sin separates us from that. But it doesn't just separate you from joy here on this earth. It's going to separate you from God when you die. When you die, you must be punished for your sin because someone must pay the penalty of what you and I have done wrong. And the Bible says that when we die, we'll stand before God in judgment. And if we stand on our own merit of what we've done, the Bible says we'll be cast from God's sight into hell for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. Hell is a real place that burns with real fire. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. It's a done deal once you're there. But God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to save you. God wants to save me from our sin. How did he do that? He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. God says sin requires somebody to die. Jesus says, I will go. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, the Bible tells us. It it breaks down like this. You and I were supposed to die for our sin. Jesus died in our place. You and I were supposed to endure God's punishment for our sin. Jesus was punished in our place. So that anyone who believes on Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as master, as payment for our sins can be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. There needs to be a time, a day, a place in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you were born again. If not, you're not going to heaven when you die. That's what Jesus himself said. So if you're here today and you say, I'm not sure that there's been a time in my life where I've been saved or born again, make that day today. It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or uh, going through religious rituals or being baptized or uh, taking a class or anything like that. It's a matter of faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you'd be willing today to put your faith in Jesus, you can be born again today. Really simple, really straightforward. That's the only way, and please understand this, that's the only way that you'll ever have access to this joy that God speaks of. Outside of that, you're toast. You're 100% on your own. Now, notice I said when you put your faith in Jesus and are born again, you'll have access to this joy because you have to pursue that joy. God's willing to give it, but you've got to be willing to receive it. And the Bible tells us how we can receive that. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, there comes a point where we have to find displeasure in the flesh. Jesus said this, he said, no man can serve two masters, either he'll cleave to one and hate the other, he'll hate the one and, and cleave to the other. And said, so you can't serve God, and the instance he used here was God and money at the same time. But the, the principle is the same, you can't live for God and live for yourself at the same time, you got to pick a side. You can't live for God and live for the world at the same time, you got to pick a side. And again, that that's very unpopular, unfortunately, in many Christian churches today, 
because they give this idea that it's okay to continue to love the world. It's okay to go ahead and live for the world. We can tack Jesus onto the end of everything you got going on and it just makes it all go away. That's not true at all. Jesus said this, you're either for me or you're against me. There are two choices that you got there. And if we choose to delight ourselves in the Lord, if we find him as our source of pleasure, we have to find displeasure in the things of the flesh and the things of this world. That's very hard because I have to put what I want to the side to choose to pursue God. But self-gratification is the enemy of finding pleasure in God. When I say, I just want to be happy. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to have to follow God. I got my life figured out. I got my plans figured out. I know what the Bible says, but I know what's best for me. You'll never find pleasure in God if that's your perspective. Help me out here with a little bit of an interactive conversation. What are some things that the world pursues that they think will bring happiness? Not you, because you're committed, sold out, spirit-filled Christians. Not you, per se, but one uh, might pursue that the world has to offer that is attractive. Somebody help me. Money, power, entertainment. So let's just say power. I want to be the boss. I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots. That's the opposite of being a slave to Christ. It won't ever work. But it's attractive. Uh, oh, man, if I could just get promoted at work, and I could be over this department or over this division, or I could do this or that or the other, and, and I'd be the boss. They'd put my picture on the wall, and I'd have business cards with my name on it. Then I would feel like somebody. And most people who have never been in positions of leadership fail to realize that the farther that you go up the chain, you get less rights, more responsibilities, and more pressure on you the higher that you go. And generally, a lot of times when you get there, it wasn't everything that you thought it was going to be. But power, man, it's, it's, it's enticing. Money. The question comes as far as money, when is enough enough? You know, there's a time where, you know, when people would talk about something, like, can you believe that they bought a house for a million dollars? Like where I come from 20 years ago, if you bought a million dollar house, you had like 10 acres of land, you had a 7,000 square foot house with a basement and a four car garage, and you had somebody who cleaned your house because you couldn't possibly clean a house that big for a million dollars. I don't know if you've looked at real estate prices in our city lately. A million bucks doesn't get you very far these days. And so, I mean, you want to get something like where people go like, wow, that's impressive. You're talking in the two, three million uh, market there. We were over yesterday on community outreach in Kahala. And man, there's some gorgeous houses over there in Kahala. I mean, like, wow. There's one one house on the, the corner there. It was literally a compound. There were like four different houses followed by a big, huge fence around it and stuff like that. And it's like, I can't fathom what that would cost, man. But money, how, and the question with, with money is always interesting. When is enough enough? When do you reach the point where I've got enough money to do with what I want to if money's your pursuit? I remember Angela, when we were first married, we had uh, uh, about six months in realizing, like, hey, our finances aren't adding up. And uh, again, we were, we were foolish whenever we got married. We didn't put together a budget before we got married. We put one together like six months in. And we, I, I did the budget, and I said, hey, we're coming up like 50 bucks short every month. And we cut everything there was to cut, and we were still short. And I told her, I said, you know what? I really believe if we could just make $50 more a month, all of our problems would go away. It's all of them, you know? <laughs> and you laugh because you realize, okay, since then, I've made that $50, and all my problems didn't go away. They, they increased. 
talking with uh, single adults. I've sat on the other side of single adults, and I've tried to keep a straight face as single adults tell me, if I could just get married, I feel like all of my problems would go away. (laughs) And for those that have been married, it's just like, that's so cute, so innocent, you know? Like you want to pat them on the head and go, that is so sweet. Because when you take one sinner with a gang of problems and they marry another sinner with a gang of problems, you get together and you don't get twice as many problems. You get problems that you didn't even know that you had. And your problems reproduce exponentially. And so I'm not, I'm not against marriage. I'm 100% pro-marriage. But don't think that it fixes anything. It doesn't resolve anything. And when you get married and you thought that was the last thing that I can check off my to-do list and my life is going to be smooth sailing from here, you're going to have a massive wake-up call probably in about 48 hours. They're like, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Because it doesn't solve anything. And if the desire of your heart is just to be married, I would encourage you with this. Make God the desire of your heart instead. What are some other things that the world says will bring fulfillment? Romantic relationship. Man, if I could just meet the guy, if I could just meet the gal, this person will provide everything that my heart desires and craves. And if God's not giving it to me on my timeline, I'll go find it ever how I want to. I'll meet some unsaved guy or some unsaved gal, and I'll bring them to church, and maybe they'll meet Jesus, and maybe we could uh, get married, and then maybe we could have a Christian uh, relationship, and maybe have a Christian home. I'll give that a shot. Well, the Bible says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and so that's a terrible idea from the very beginning. And, and again, you've got to get this. This is the whole premise of this passage. You don't get God's blessings when you don't do things God's way. It, it just works out like that. Well, what am I supposed to be single forever? I hope not, if that's truly the desire of your heart. But if that's the case, I would encourage you to first delight yourself in the Lord. What are some other things that the world tells you will bring gratification? Stuff. The more stuff that I can get, the better. Stuff will make me happy. If I can't afford this stuff, I'm going to swipe a piece of plastic that, that rings up my debt that I'll never get out from underneath. More stuff will make me more happy, and I get so much stuff that I can't even fit it in my house anymore, so I have to rent a separate storage space to put all my extra stuff that I don't really need, but I just can't bring myself to throw away because we have so much stuff. What else? Knowledge. Hey, the smarter I get, the more education that I get, I'll be happy, I'll I'll be fulfilled. If I could just get that degree that I could hang up in my office and people could see I'm the man, like look at this, I went to XYZ college and I got XYZ degree, they'll be impressed by that. But what you fail to realize is most people never sit in your office and see your certificate on the wall. And they never know how totally awesome you are or what grades you got. Oh, if I could just get that, those letters in front of my name or after my name, people will finally respect me. I'll find the fulfillment that I need. I'll finally be esteemed by my peers only to find out knowledge is good, but the Bible says knowledge puffs up and makes us proud. And so again, we, we could run down the list all day long of stuff and money and cars and clothes and, and jewelry of things that the world says are impressive. It's interesting, though, when we even say the word success, success these days is a moving target, right? What was successful 20 years ago isn't successful anymore. Again, you had a man uh, 20 years ago who had a six-figure job. You were like, whoa, that's impressive. Here in Honolulu, if you don't make six figures, you're below the poverty line here. It's not really all that impressive anymore, is it? Man, you had a guy who bought a $60,000 house and paid for it in cash. Man, that was like, wow, that dude made it. Like now $60,000 doesn't touch a down payment these days. And so 
man, again, back in the day, successful, somebody who maybe started a business or uh, worked hard or invested their money well. Nowadays, uh, the term for success could be determined by how many social media followers you have. Oh, this guy's a celebrity. No, he's not. Nobody knows his name. He's not a celebrity. He has two million followers on YouTube. Okay, like, what does that even mean? Like, no lie, there's, there's people who unbox toys on the internet, have millions of followers, make millions of dollars unwrapping toys. Do we call that successful? I don't know, because success is a moving target, isn't it? And so again, when our goal is self-gratification, we have to push God to the side to pursue those things. Psalm 40, verse number 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. The psalmist says, I, God, you put your word in my heart. That's what I crave. That's what I desire. And I just want to do what you want me to do. Self-gratification also makes you a slave to your sinful desires. Because it's all about what I want right now. This is where people get mixed up in Relationships. They date someone, they live together, they cohabitate, maybe then they get married, and then they realize, hey, this isn't the person who makes me happy anymore. And so what do we do? Hey, it's time to bounce on to the next relationship, because why? I deserve to be happy. And look, if you're, you're in the self-gratification business, you'll be chasing after that for the rest of your life. Even things like entertainment or self-gratification, hey, I'm going to go to a, a concert or I'm going to uh, watch a television show or watch a movie. How long does that gratification last? Not very long because we have to continually pursue more and more and more. Angela and I, several years ago, had decided to go to a restaurant for our anniversary. It was a, a fancy restaurant and you know, it was a kind of a big deal because it's our anniversary and we're going to go out and this restaurant we've heard so many good things about and we go and... I don't know about you guys in fancy restaurants, but like, I, I come from like a redneck town in Kentucky, and like fancy doesn't go together with that. If there's things that are on the menu that you can't explain or can't, you know, nochi sauce on, you know, creamed scallops, like, I don't even know what all that is. What is a scallop? I don't even know. Um, um, and so, you know, it's in a, a, a reduction sauce with balsamic vinegar. I don't know how you reduce sauce, but okay. Um, we go to this restaurant, and we're looking at, we look at the menu, and it's just like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Like, I'm looking for like, you know, New York Strip, you know, 12 ounce. Like, where is that? That's nowhere to be found on this menu. And we're reading through it. I'm looking at this, and it's just like, you know, uh, there's this thing with, um, y you know, tomato paste, organic made, you know, sun-dried, ripened tomatoes, all this other stuff, um, on a bed, uh, under, on a, under a bed of mozzarella cheese covered with, you know, spicy salami. And I told her, I go, I think this is pizza. And she's like, there's no way. And so I asked the lady to come over and she's like, oh, what is this, you know, focaccia flatbread bolognese? And she begins to explain it. I go, that sounds like pepperoni pizza. And she's like, well, some people might call it that. It's, it's actually on our kids' menu. And I was just like, oh, great. And so uh, we, we ordered that because it's the only thing. And we, we looked at one thing and it was like, a, it was like basically boiled down to spaghetti with sauce and they had a, a, a raw fish head sitting on top of it. And I said, can we get that without the fish head on the top? And she said, well, actually, it brings up the flavor of the pasta to a greater degree. You know, the, the, uh, the, the juice drips down underneath it and gives a, a special flavor. Uh, I don't think that our chef would be okay with just sending it out without that because basically you just have a bowl of spaghetti. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for right there. The bowl of spaghetti, that's all I want. And so we were like way out of our league. They had really good house bread, so we just kept asking for baskets of bread. 
And no lie, we walked out of there, and it's just like, that was trash. Like, I'm still hungry. It didn't provide the experience that I wanted. And so she and I decided, well, let's go to Duke's in Waikiki. And so no lie, we went from one restaurant to the next, went to Duke's, got a big, huge thing of hula pie with extra hot fudge. And man, it was exactly what we needed. You know, ice cream, Oreos, and hot fudge. Like, that's, I'm simple like that. But here's what happened. We went to one place. We had an expectation that didn't get met. So what did we do? We immediately left for another place that we knew would meet the expectation that we had. That's life. If you think this job, this place, this, uh, you know, this move is going to bring everything that our heart desires, you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment on the other side of that. Because self-gratification doesn't last. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5 says this, For they that are after the flesh, do you mind the things of the flesh? But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So again, if you're walking in the spirit, you'll desire the things of the spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, you'll desire the things of the flesh. And what happens when it comes time to choose, you can either choose God or you can choose pornography. Well, I just want what I want. I deserve to be happy. I'm not getting what I want elsewhere. This doesn't hurt anyone. And we choose the things of this world over the things of God because we desire self-gratification. Oh, I really want to be married, but I can't find any Christians today, so I'll, I'll date this unsaved guy. Maybe we can make him a Christian. If not, uh, he'll just agree to come to church with me. I guess that'll work itself out. You've just chosen a relationship that the Bible calls sinful over choosing to trust and delight in the Lord. You're, you're choosing one thing over another. And it's foolishness. The Bible says that we can't live that way. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, he changes the desires of our heart. This is where it's really important for this verse. This is the the central point of this particular verse. It's not that as you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you all the carnal things that you want. It's that as you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the things that are good for you. He changes changes your desires into being spiritual, godly desires. To quote a friend of mine, God changes your wanter. You don't want the things that you wanted before. You want the things that God wants for you now. You see, God doesn't give us the desires of our carnal heart. That would be idolatry. If I delight myself in the Lord and he gives me a a new Corvette and he gives me a a new house on the beach and he uh, gives me a vacation to those, uh, you know, villas in the south of France and, uh, you know, I'm over there eating, you know, French baguettes and that's what God gives me because I delight in him. That's just God feeding into my carnal desires. God is not an idol giver. There's a fake version of Christianity that's even very prevalent here in our city. There's a, a word of faith movement which is, uh, has this idea that we can say whatever we want and then God's obligated to give it to me. And it, go, it comes based off of a twisting of Scripture to say things like, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. So that verse says, if I ask God, he has to give it to me. He's obligated to give it to me. I can declare what God is going to give to me, and he is obligated to fulfill it. First of all, let me just tell you this. God's not obligated to nothing to you and I at all. He doesn't have to give you anything. One of our men was a part of this false teaching church, which is about a mile from, from our church here. And his small group leader told him that he goes over to the Porsche dealership once a week and sits behind the wheel of the Porsche and declares that God will give it to him. 
And because he has obligated God to do that, God will eventually give it to him. Look, in cases like that, let me just tell you, there's two options. God will withhold it from you because it's not what's good for you, which is more than likely what's going to happen. Or the worst thing that can happen is God could do to you what he did to the Israelites. He gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. You get it, and then you realize this wasn't what I wanted to begin with. This is what I, I thought this would make me happy, but it didn't make me happy. But it doesn't end well. It doesn't end with like, wow, I finally got this portion. I'm so happy now. I, we were out in Kahala yesterday, <coughs> and um, we were going down, inviting people to church and putting invitations on uh, doors and stuff like that. We were on a street, and uh, a guy pulls up in like a brand spanking new Land Rover out there on the corner, and gave an invitation to our church, and then he pushes his garage door open, and he can't pull his Land Rover into his garage because there's two Porsches parked side by side in his garage. And he's got it filled with stuff like everybody else does in Hawaii with their garage. He has a bike rack there by his, uh, the edge of his garage. No life. Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 worth of bikes hanging off the side. They're like three bikes, okay? Uh, no life. I'm looking at those like, whoa, like good grief. But I thought to myself, okay, What's next? You've got a gorgeous house in Kahala. You, you drive a Land Rover. You've got two Porsches. You've got $20,000 worth of bicycles. What's next? Where do you go? What's the next step? Because that can't last forever. So again, we've got to look at our hearts and say, what do I truly desire? What do I truly crave? God doesn't give us the desires of our carnal heart because he doesn't want us to be idolaters. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, had this amazing quote, I think it's in your notes this morning. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We're far too easily pleased. We're pleased by the simple things of this world. Shiny stuff impresses us. People on the internet impress us. But God doesn't impress us? Oh, you set the bar way too low. You find delight in material things. You find delight in status. You're impressed with things that God gave to people. It's, it's like, man, you set the bar way too low for what impresses you. And so God wants to give you good things. He's just not going to give you things that cause you to be an idolater. My wife and I, um, when we lived here in, from 99 to 03, uh, I was in the Navy. We are getting ready to separate out, out of the Navy. And, and when we did, we started a computer training consulting company at 500 Alamoana Boulevard Restaurant Row uh, down the street. We did that for about three years, um, and man, we, God did more than we could imagine financially. I mean, we were making more money than we'd ever seen in our lives uh, and it's just like, there came a point where you don't know what to do with that. I mean, I was always told, get a good education, get a good job, make good money, take care of your family. Man, I was doing that, and I felt like we were being successful. And uh, there came a point where it's just like, man, we have, I'm buying cars, you know, we're upgrading our houses, I'm going to Circuit City when Circuit City was a thing, right? And about a Bose surround sound system for the living room, got a bigger TV, upgraded that. I mean, we go to Maui, stay in a bigger, more expensive hotel with a better view on a higher floor. And, but we're doing all these things, and I mean, I'm like 25, and I was just like, okay, this was fun for a minute, but like how, what else is there? Like, I can't do this until I'm 65, because there's nothing of substance here. Make more money to do what with? 
I mean, you can only spend so much. And I mean, and when you're 25, you're not thinking like, this doesn't last forever. I should probably save. I should make good investments. You don't think none of that. You think like, how much can I blow in a month is what you think. And so we, we did some other things. You know, we gave to missionaries and evangelists and, and helped our local church and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just like I, I, I dreaded going to work because it's like this can't last forever. This isn't fun anymore. And I had, I had a goal at the time, and, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but again, I'll confess that you already know about my bad tattoos. Um, so my goal at 25, I want to buy my wife a house by the beach. Goal one. Goal number two, I want to own a Lamborghini. Goal three, I want to retire by the time I'm 30. And, and no lie, at 25 years old, I was on track to hit all three of those. Like, it was, it was going to be a done deal. But then there came a point where it's just like, okay, when I get those what? Like, if you retire at 30, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Like, just sit around and watch TV, you know? And my wife is like, you got to buy me a house before you buy a Lamborghini. I was like, why? She was like, you can't, like, rent a house and park a Lamborghini. And it's like, sure you can. I'm like, what's the big deal with that? I mean, I, gr- I grew up in Kentucky in a small town. Like, I had the Ferrari and Lamborghini posters on my, my wall as a teenager. And, like, I mean, to me, that was, like, the ultimate of success. I look back at that, and I am painfully embarrassed like super embarrassed to even admit that because nowhere did I, was a goal in my life for anything for my kids, for my wife, for my marriage, for anything that lasts or matters. And there came a point where God began to change the desires of our heart. We, we really wanted to put God first in every area of our life. We were serving at the church we were in, man, six days a week. They had something to do on the seventh day, we would have been there because we just couldn't get enough I want to serve. I want to be used. I don't want to work my job anymore. I want to do something that lasts, something that matters. And God gave me greater desires. I want to do work that actually matters instead of just making money. I want to have an impact. I want my wife to reflect how Jesus loves his church and how I love her and serve her and how strong our marriage is. That became a priority for me. I want my kids to know, love, and walk with Jesus every single day for the rest of their lives. Those became my top priorities. And so then you realize, well, it doesn't take any money uh, in a given month to meet that criteria. I'm going to chase those things for the rest of my life and work at them every single day until I die, and I'll never reach a plateau of that. And God began to change the desires of my heart because I delighted in him. Hey, if you threw me the keys to a Lamborghini, I'd take it around the block, I'd smoke the tires, uh, but I'd give it back to you because that's just not where I'm trying to go in life. Like, honestly, I don't, it's not a top desire that I have. Hey, if you bought me one of those houses in Kahala, I'd feel really out of place living there because th- th- that's just not me. Hey, I appreciate that. I'll vacation there if you want me to, but like, that's just not where I'm trying to go any longer. And hey, retire by the time I'm 30, man, I've still got some tread left on the tires. I've got some stuff to do for Jesus. I can't just like, play golf every day. I've got to get, like, get something done with my life. And so God changed those desires as I delighted in him. He wants to do the same thing for you. But you can't chase the things of the world and chase God at the same time. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. But here's the thing, awesome thing about God. God's not trying to withhold the good stuff from you. He wants to give it to you. But God gives the good to those that walk in obedience. You want God's good stuff. It doesn't come from chasing good stuff. It comes from chasing God. It comes from walking in obedience. It comes from doing the right thing. Psalm 8411 is a great promise of God's word. You should circle this, star this, underline it, commit it to memory. Keep it in your back pocket because this is a promise from God. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
the Lord will give grace and glory. And get this, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Oh, I don't know about you, but that's a great promise. God promises that if I do what he tells me to do, that he's going to give me all the good stuff that I need. He's not going to keep anything back from me. Jesus echoes this in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sometimes people misquote that verse. They say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all this shall be added unto you. You missed a critical phrase there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all those things shall be added unto you. What is his righteousness? Doing what he asks you to do. Doing the right thing. Walking in obedience. Put God first, walk in obedience, and you will have everything that you desire. And you said, well, what if I desire, you know, money, status, success? You're desiring the wrong things, and you have not delighted in God yet. Because when you do, your desires will change. The things of this world aren't as shiny as they used to be. And here's the thing about having nice things. Is it a sin to have nice things? No, it's not. It's a sin to pursue nice things. Is it a sin to have money? It's not at all. It's a sin to pursue money, where it becomes the pursuit, the desire of your life. The Bible says, here's the thing about God. I I love what the Bible says, that when God increases your wealth, he adds no sorrow with it. You didn't have to disobey God to, to make money. You didn't have to be shady to get money. And whatever God blesses you with, there's no sorrow with it because it's just a blessing. God's just been good. Hey, you know, somebody gives me a gift. Man, I'm thankful for it, but I didn't need a gift. Man, if, I, if I'm able to, you know, buy a nice shirt or something like that, I'm thankful for that. My desire is not to have a, a smashing wardrobe and have really expensive stuff. Not my desire at all. I mean, it's fun for me to walk past, uh, you know, stores at Alamoana where they're selling like $1,500 shirts. Like, I don't know nothing about that, you know. But that's not the desire of my heart. So, again, put God first. He'll give you all the good stuff that you want if you're willing to walk in obedience. He'll take care of you 100% of the time. And look, if I seek God more than anything else, I'll eventually seek more of what God wants for me, and I'll be 100% content with that. Hey, when it comes to what type of work that I do, you might say, well, the work that I do doesn't matter. No, it really does. Does this give me a way to honor and glorify God with my life? Does it give me a chance to advance the kingdom? Hey, I, I talked with one of our men uh, a couple of weeks ago. He says, hey, I got an opportunity at work to, uh, to have more responsibility. I'm a little bit nervous with that. Would you help me talk through that? Sure. And so we talked through it. I said, hey, what does it mean for your, your work schedule? He says, it's not really going to change a whole lot. What does it mean for, uh, you know, your, your responsibility? Got a lot more responsibility while I'm at work, but after work, you know, there's no responsibility off that. I said, what does it mean for your church attendance and your service and ministry here at the church? Shouldn't change it at all. Okay, that's good. What does it mean for your influence to have the opportunity to influence your coworkers? He said, I would be in a greater position of influence and have the opportunity to care and lead for people that I've never had the opportunity to before and to eventually point them to Christ. I'm calling that one a win. It wasn't a matter of like, oh, I get to be the boss now. I get to tell people what to do. It was a matter of like, hey, I get an opportunity to have influence over people's lives and point them to Christ. Man, that's a win in my book. Your people in your, your workspace already know that you're a Christian. This is an opportunity for you to show them this is how Christians lead, by love and grace and kindness and pointing people back to biblical truth. 
Psalm 145, verse number 14 says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down, and the eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. I want you to hear that. God satisfies the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. The Lord is nigh unto all that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. I don't know what is on your heart, but God wants to give it to you if it falls in accordance with his will. He's not trying to keep back stuff from you. He's not trying to make your life hard or make your life difficult. But if you're truly seeking after God, whatever you get from him, you'll be content with. Again, if you're chasing after the things of this world, you don't get what you want, you're going to be mad. If you're chasing after God, whatever God gives you is just God's will. Hey, you get that promotion, man. That's just God's will. I'm just trusting him. Hey, God gave me that promotion. I guess it's God's will. I'm just going to continue to trust him. Hey, that thing I was hoping to come through didn't come through, but I'm just going to trust God because at the end of the day, it's his will. And that's the hard part is when God's will doesn't jive with our will. Am I going to trust him or am I going to continue to trust in myself? Because here's the thing, if I trust the Lord, which again is our theme this year, whatever happens, I can just know that he's working all things for his glory and for my good and I can trust him. Look, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he becomes the desire of our heart. He becomes what I want. He becomes what I crave. Psalm 73, verse number 23, Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There's none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Think about that. God is not just my strength today. He is my life forever. God wants to bring you pleasure, joy, and happiness, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just this week or next week. He wants to provide you pleasure for all of eternity. Like if you'll delight yourself in him, you'll never be disappointed. We say, well, I've delighted myself in the Lord and I got disappointed at some point. Then your heart got off track and you're just kind of bringing it back on track. And here's the thing, it's not a, a knock on you that your heart got off track. Our hearts are prone to wonder, the song says. Man, my heart wants to get out of the way every time that it can. I got to bring it back though. That's why the psalmist says, my heart is fixed, O Lord. Hey, my heart is fixed upon you. And we, gotta, we have to maintain that. But when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he becomes what we desire. When we delight in the Lord, we don't seek God as a means to an end. He is the end and he is what our heart craves. It's so sad so many times to see people, they don't really want God, they just want his stuff. I mentioned this last week in the 8 o'clock service, I didn't tell the story at the 10 o'clock service, but when Hui Kahlo was fairly new, we had a guy that had come to our church that was, um, had stage 4 cancer, it was bad. And so um, he was going through treatment, seeing a doctor, when he came here he would just gotten the diagnosis, he's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I won't go away from the Lord, and so he got super plugged into Hui Kahlo, and um, you know, we tried to help him through this. I'd take him to his doctor's appointments and pick him up. And uh, he finally had surgery. Um, and so he was, um, you know, in bedridden for a c- couple of weeks due to surgery. And so 
while he's in surgery, he didn't have any family here, so I took him to the hospital, dropped him off. I sat in the waiting room until the, the thing was done. The doctor's coming out and giving me updates on the surgery and let me know how things went. When he's in recovery, I go back there, sit down with him, pray with him, talk with him. My wife went over to his apartment, cleaned his apartment, did his laundry, folded his laundry, put it away. Uh, we brought meals over to him, stuff like that. And um, super grateful, super thankful. And then uh, I got a call one day from him, and he said, hey, Pastor, I just uh, had a scan. My doctor says, I'm 100% cancer-free. Oh, man, praise God. Good news, good news. Man, I was so excited to hear that. Man, I'm going to share that with, with, you know, our Bible study that night that we were having. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. Funny thing is, he didn't come to church on Sunday. He didn't come back to church ever again. Isn't that interesting? Hey, I got what I needed. What do I need God for? Right? I mean, I didn't really want God to begin with. I just wanted to not die. And so many times, Angela and I have, over the years, over the last nine and a half years, sat with so many people who, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me, my girlfriend broke up with me, my life's over, I just don't know what to do, I want to come back to my faith, I want to walk with Jesus, and man, uh, I, I think of, of one lady in particular, she was just boo-hoo bawling through the whole service, my wife sat with her and put her arm around her afterwards, prayed. Uh, we didn't have anything going on, she was like, hey, can we just take you to lunch, can you like you're in a really bad spot, we went over to the mall and had lunch together, and she just pouring her guts out, and she'd been away from Jesus, but she went with this guy who wasn't a Christian, and they'd broken up, and they were planning on getting married, but now they're not getting married anymore, and she doesn't know what she's going to do with the rest of her life, and all this other stuff, and so we began to pray with her and talk to her. I gave her some books to read and uh, things like that. I said, hey, let's, let's circle back on Wednesday night, and so she came back on Wednesday night, and she still tore up, and the next Sunday, she just like doesn't show up to church, and so my wife uh, texts her and says, hey, Miss, you in church uh, this morning. Is everything good? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. Me and my boyfriend got back together. I think I'm okay now. Oh, okay. And no lie, never saw her ever again. Because I didn't really want God. I just want God to fix the mess that I was in. And once he fixed it, it's just like, okay, you can go back to where you came from. I think I got it from here. That's not delighting yourself in the Lord. We, we treat God like a spiritual 911. Like if I'm in a really bad mess, I can give him a call. But until then, I, I think I got this. I don't need to pray. I can pay my bills this month. I don't need to pray. My health is in good order. I don't need to pray. I mean, everything's going my way. My kids are good. Everybody's good. I don't need to pray. Then man, when things aren't going my way, then, oh, where's God? You know, I, I need to call on the Lord. No, no, no. You need to call on the Lord when everything's going well. God is not just meant to be there when you need him. He wants to be there all the time. And if we're not delighting ourselves in the Lord, we crave things other than God. But when you truly find that the Lord is your delight, he's all that you want. Like, hey, look, I, I love my wife and kids like you cannot fathom. But if God took that and I still have him, I'm, I'm going to have to be okay. Because he didn't promise me children and wife. Oh, that's just God's grace. If he takes that from me, I still have to say God's still good and he's still God. I still love him. I still trust him. Though we lose everything. Though, like what Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I don't, I don't love God because God's been good to me. I love God because he's God. If he'd never done anything in the world good for me, I would still love him and worship him as God because that's who he is. But one of Satan's greatest deceptions is that happiness, fulfillment, and pleasure can only be found apart from God. Man, God's trying to kill your joy, man. God's trying to keep you from having fun. God just doesn't want you to be happy. I mean, like, and if you follow God, you're going to be sad like all those other Christians that are sad. You're going to be able to have fun like we have fun. God's, God's holding out on you. 
Man, that's a lie as old as the book of Genesis. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, Eve says to the serpent, hey, we can eat everything in the garden except for this tree. And the devil's like, did God really say that? He's holding out on you. He knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be God's just like him. He doesn't want you to do that. So he's holding out on you. Interesting, exact same lie. Exact same lie he tells to Jesus. Jesus is baptized, goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil begins to tempt him. Last temptation, he says, what does he say? Hey, take a look. All this stuff out here, every single bit of it, I'll give it to you. God's not going to give it to you. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. God's holding out on you. I'll give it to you, though. You know the interesting thing is about that story? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that there's nothing made in this world that was not made by Jesus Christ. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and when he did at creation, Jesus Christ was there, and Christ spoke things into existence, according to the book of Hebrews. So the funny thing is, is the devil's trying to give Jesus something that he made himself, that he already owns. He's trying to trick him into believing, I could actually give you this when he can't. It doesn't belong to the devil. It belongs to God because God created it. It's God's creation, not Satan's. But he's trying to give Jesus something that he doesn't even possess himself. And he's selling him the lie that God your Father is holding out on you and I'm going to give you the stuff that you really want. It's just another lie, but we fall for it every day. Well, you know, if you go to church too much, I mean, you're, you know, when are you going to have your you time, you know? You need some time to relax, you know? Sunday's one of your only day, days off. You need some, some time alone, you know? You deserve it. Okay. And again, maybe that's the case for, for some folks. But again, at the end of the day, I want to be with God's people. I want to worship God together. I want to be with my church family. I want to grow together with them. And so again, you know, teenagers, single adults, let me help you with this. When your parents or anybody other authority life figure in your life tells you, don't have premarital sex, wait till you're married, Keep your heart. Don't give it away to the first knucklehead that comes along. Stay away from drugs. Stay away from alcohol. Surround yourself with Christian friends. They're not trying to keep you from having fun. They're trying to help you fix your heart on the things of God. And that's a blessing. It's not a bad thing. I remember I had a, a friend in high school who was having a party at his house. And uh, everybody had asked me, am I going to this party? And the, the, the guy was a couple years older than I was, so you know, I got invited to an older guy's party at his house. His parents were going to be out of town, and everybody knew that, and so there's going to be a party there. And so people asked me, hey, are you going? And I told them that I was going. And then I had to tell my parents, like, hey, I'm going over to so-and-so's house. They're having a get-together. Don't call it a party. It's a get-together, right? Because get-together is, hey, we're going to play Uno. We might order a pizza, you know. But party, everybody knows what party is. And um, my parents says, absolutely not. I heard his parents were out of town. Small town. Everybody knows everything. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal. My mom was just like, absolutely not. And she's like, well, I've already told everybody that I'm coming. Don't care. Tell them that you're not coming. And I was just like, oh, I was furious. I look back now and I'm thankful for Christian parents who protected me and says, hey, kids out of town, there's alcohol there and teenagers, it's just a bad, 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 bad scene. You're not going. I was mad at my parents, but my parents were like, so what? You're not going. I'm thankful for that now. I wasn't thankful for that then. 
And you say, well, I'm older now. No, no, no. The, the principle is still the same. God says don't do it. You can get mad at God and kick against God and throw a temper tantrum on the floor if you want to. When God says no, he's doing it for your benefit. God knows what's best for you. And again, you think like, well, God's stealing my fun. You misunderstood the Bible and you bought into a lie of Satan. For every non-Christian that understands how Christian marriage works, we don't have sex before marriage. When we get married, we get married for life, and divorce isn't a thing with Christians. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, who could do something like that? You know, I don't even know how you could commit to a life like that. Like, no sex before marriage. How do you know if you're even compatible? Do you really want to be with the same person for the rest of your life, every single day for the rest of your life? What a drag. Can't even get divorced if things go wrong. How will you live that way? Well, it sounds like a bummer if you don't understand the Bible. But again, from my perspective... I get to be married to my best friend every single day for the rest of my life, and I never have to wonder if she's going to leave me? That's a, that's a win in my book. You know, I don't know who has dated recently, but like I, the last thing in the world I would want to date, do a date in the area that we live in today, and dating was a drag. I mean, I'm thankful that I have a spouse who loves me and loves God. That's not a, a bad gig, but again, the devil wants to feed this idea that God's withholding from you. Our flesh buys into the idea that whatever's being withheld from us is somehow unfair. <laughs> God's holding out on me, and I deserve that. Man, I deserve to get promoted at work, and I didn't, and, and, and the system is unfair. God's withholding from me what I deserve. And I got the short end of the stick. Uh, be careful with that. God is never unfair. God is always righteous and just. And again, if, he, if we delight in him, we can just trust him with that. We don't have to try to figure it out on our own or make our own plans. Turn if you would to, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want you to see this in your Bible because it's really, really good. 1 Samuel 15 tells the story of Saul, King Saul. First Samuel chapter 15, we'll start in verse number one. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee as king over, over his people, over Israel. Now hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Hey, the same God that set you up as king has something to say. Verse number two. And the Lord of the hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up out of Egypt. So God says, I want to get retribution and vengeance on Amalek. So I'm going to go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Everything that the Amalekites have, dead. All of it. Well, what does that include? Again, but slay both man, woman, infant, and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass or donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them until I am 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay wait in the valley. So they go down uh, to basically lay waste to this. Now God says don't leave anything breathing at all. All of it. Uh, and so uh, verse number six, 
Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, lest you come among the Amalekites or some other folks that were there. You guys need to get out of town because we're getting ready to lay waste to everybody here. Uh, verse number uh, 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until they come to Nashur. It's over against Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Look at verse number 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lamb and all that was good, but would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Hey, everything that we don't want, we're going to kill it. But all the stuff that we could like keep for ourselves, let's keep that. I mean, like, here's some good sheep. Why don't we go kill these sheep? They're good. Hey, we got some, some oxen over here that are really good. We're not going to kill them. Verse number 10, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I set up Saul to be king. For he's turned his back from me, following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Um, verse number 13, Samuel came to Saul. Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, verse number 13? Saul says, Hey, Sam, good to see you, bro. Praise God. I did everything that God asked me to do. <laughs> Not exactly. And so verse 14, Samuel says, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul says, They brought them out of the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. Why? To sacrifice unto the Lord, and the rest have we utterly destroyed. Oh, those... Yeah, the people wanted to keep those because we wanted to make a sacrifice to the Lord today. Oh, no, 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 no. Same, uh, Saul somehow thought that what God was withholding was unfair. We can't kill all this good stuff. Like, we could actually use this. Then when he was caught red-handed, he tried to make up a lie. Oh, yeah, we kept this because we were going to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Samuel says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's better to obey than to bring a sacrifice. God doesn't want your religious works when you disobey him. So what happened to Saul? God says, you're no longer king over Israel. You can't obey me. And so get this. Everything that Saul wanted, he had taken from him. In, in like a split second. You don't get to keep those sheep or those oxen. They're going to be killed. You're not going to be king over, more, over Israel anymore. You're no longer going to have influence. God would later take his Holy Spirit from Saul. doesn't happen to us as believers now in the New Testament, but under the Old Covenant, the Holy, the Holy Spirit could come and go. Holy Spirit taken, evil spirit sent to vex his soul, the Bible says. Just bad, bad, bad. Why? Because he didn't delight himself in the Lord. He wanted this other stuff too. Well, give God a little bit. That's okay. I'll take this other stuff for me. It's not how it works. Three final thoughts here and we're done. First of all, we often misjudge what our heart truly craves. What our heart truly desires. What do you want? Well, I really just, you know, want status. I, I want to be the man. I want to be the woman. I want to be people to look up to me. I want people's respect. You don't. I promise you don't. You know what you really want? You want unconditional love that can come only from God. That's what, that's what your heart craves. I really just want to be happy. Don't I deserve to be happy? You don't want to be happy. Happiness has a short shelf life. You want joy. Joy doesn't end. Happiness is up and down. 
<laughs> I don't know if you've ever bought a, a, a new car or a new-to-you car that makes you really happy, right? I enjoy driving this. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like when I get a, a new-to-me car, like I want to like just go to Walmart for no reason in the middle of the night, right? It's just like, you can go to Walmart. Why? I, I need some fingernail clippers. <laughs> and so uh, go, go for a drive. But when I get to Walmart, like, I'm not parking where all these other peasants park. I'm going to park on the far end over here because somebody's going to door ding my car. You know? and, and I'm not having that. I'm going to park way down here. Man, the kids are in the car. like, hey, can we go through the drive-thru at McDonald's? Nobody's ever going to eat in this car as long as you live because this is a sacred car. Um, <laughs> no food is allowed in this car. And then what happens? Like two weeks later, you got a milkshake spilled in the, the floor. you got French fries stuck down in the, the cushions. And it's just, it's, it's a mess. And what are you doing? You're parking next to the cart corral where everybody dings it. You know, because why? It was fun for a minute when Angela and I were foolish about our, our money. A, a new car was fun to us until we got our first car payment. $485 every single month? This isn't fun anymore. This is really expensive. That's like, I don't know, 25% of our budget for a car? Then we need to get rid of this piece of junk. Wait, 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 wait. 60 days earlier, this was going to be everything that our heart desired. Why? Because happiness doesn't last. And whether you're chasing it through drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, pornography, money, status, cars, houses, education, it does not last. Don't you want something that will last a little bit longer? It's Jesus. So you've misjudged what you think your heart really wants. You don't want to hear that people are proud of you. You want to know that your Heavenly Father is pleased with you. You don't want to hear that you're the best at your job and we're so thankful to have you. You want to know that the Father approves of your life. You want, here's what you want, Galatians 5, and 23. You want love, you want joy, you want peace, you want long-suffering, you want gentleness, you want goodness, you want faith, you want meekness, you want temperance. That's what your heart craves, and it only comes from one place, and that's the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're jamming all this stuff in your life thinking it's gonna last, and it doesn't. Secondly, we always pursue what we think about. Always. <laughs> Several years ago, I took a motorcycle safety course. One of the first things that they teach you before you ever get to step on a, a motorcycle, wherever your head goes is where the bike goes. You turn left, your bike is going left with, with your head. You look to the right, man, you're, you're going right. So anytime you want to make a turn, you need to look at where you're turning, and that's where your bike's going to go, always. The heart's the exact same way. Wherever our, our heart is pointed, that's where your life's going to go. If your heart is pointed towards the things of this world, that's where your heart's going to wind up. It's only a matter of time. We pursue the things that we think about. That's why Philippians 4.8 tells us this. Think on the things that are good, true, lovely, of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's why i got to really take my mind and do what the Bible says and bring every thought captive. I need to catch those thoughts and ask myself, is this something I should be thinking about or not? Because my heart follows that. And we live in a society today where social media and news and website algorithms are, are tuned to give you the stuff that they think that you want. I read a, <coughs> I use Google News on my phone. I just scroll the news headlines because, I, again, I think all news is ridiculously biased and I don't want to get my news from anyone. Location. So I just scroll news headlines and I pick things that are interesting. And so I read, 
probably like a month and a half ago about the um, electric trucks that are coming out. It's like, oh, that's interesting, like a truck that's electric and stuff like that. I'm being to read about that. Then like next day I get this on my news feed, like three articles about electric trucks. And one of them was the uh, electric Hummer. I was just like, ooh, that's kind of cool. So you push that and it shows you the video. And if you haven't seen it, like all four wheels can move. And it's like this little side uh, crab walk thing. It's like super cool. And you like see them like going out through like the middle of the desert. Who drives an electric vehicle in the desert? I don't know, but it's cool. Um, then I read this other article, you know, wh- why the Hummer EVs aren't great for the econ- great for the environment. And it's like, whoever thought a Hummer was good for the environment? It's a bad idea. Anyways, but then I thought, well, that's interesting. Why are the EVs no good for the environment? So you look, click on that. The whole truck weighs like 9,000 pounds. And like, you got to be careful, like, what bridges you drive across, if they can actually hold that or not, because it's a ridiculous amount of weight for a single vehicle. I thought, man, that's nuts. And so then, no lie, next morning I wake up, and it's just like Hummer EV production way behind. It's like, what does it mean way behind? So I click on that. They got 25,000 pre-orders, but they're only making 12 a day. And like, you do the math on that, like, you'll never catch up to that. And so they're selling on the resale market. They're, the retail form's like $125,000. they are selling for up to $200,000 for people who can actually get their hands on them. That's fascinating. And so next morning, three things you should know before buying a Hummer EV. Well, now I'm invested, right? And so, <laughs> no lie. Six days ago, I could not care less about this, but now I'm just like, well, what are the three things you need to know before you buy it, right? And so now I, I'm on the lookout for them. How, I, I, we saw one when we were in California. We were down around uh, Carmel, super uh, expensive neighborhoods by the coast there. Driving through, I saw a Hummer EV. It's just like, man, that is gorgeous, right? But man, now I'm invested at this point. Why? Because I gave it my attention. I gave it a little bit of space in my head and my heart, and now, man, every news article that comes across, I'm clicking it, and these algorithm creators are like, yeah, we got him. Keep feeding it that way. And here's the thing. That's fine if you're reading about a truck that you'll never be able to afford. It's another thing when you're reading things that really are supposed to bring you happiness. And again, we pursue where our hearts is directed. Again, that's why the psalmist says, my heart is fixed. Fix your heart on God, and that's what you'll pursue. When God is the delight of your life, he'll be the desire of your heart. Final thought here today, we're done. We have to see the riches of Jesus and acknowledge the bankruptcy of the world. Man, one of my favorite songs, choruses to sing, I guess you will. Shout to the Lord, because I love the chorus, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. When you take Jesus and you put him side by side with anything that this world has to offer, it's like a no-brainer. It's not even a comparison. Just totally in, in separate categories. Like, it's, it's not apples and oranges. It's like apples and watermelons. I mean, not even remotely close. Because when I see the true value of Christ, the rest of this world isn't that great the deeper that you dig. When I greatly see Jesus for who he is, he loved me, he pursued me, he died for me, he extends his grace and mercy to me, he allows me to be adopted into the family of God, he gives me an eternal inheritance which the Bible says, fate is not away. He made me to belong in the body of Christ. He's given me brothers and sisters like you guys. He's allowed me to do something meaningful with my life that's going to last not for just a couple of months or a couple of years, but for eternity. I look at that and go, okay, 
what exactly does the world have to offer me that's so appealing? It's just not there. Because I see Jesus for who he is. I mean, if you're going to make the Lord the delight, desire, delight of your heart, which I hope that you will, you've got to see this world for what it is. It's set up against you. It's set up against me. It's a system that's rigged to fail. And so you and I have to say, I choose Jesus. I delight myself in the Lord. Everything, just take stock of your life. Everything that you've ever put your life in, that you or put your focus in, that you thought would bring you lasting fulfillment and contentment, every single bit of it at some point has failed. All of it. But if you've ever put your faith and trust in God, you'll know that he never fails. And maybe you're here today, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. Today's your opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you. Then you get to unlock the joy that is Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you've been uh, sidetracked by the shimmering, glittery things that the world has to offer. Today's your opportunity to get your heart right and say, nope, put my focus back on Jesus where it belongs because I know he's what my heart craves. And here's the thing, the number one thing that will keep you away from the Lord is always going to be sin. If there's sin in your life, you need to confess of it, repent of it, be done with it, run away from it so that you can pursue Christ today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.